the book of Revelation. This book was written by John, the uh, disciple and apostle, and it's thought that it was written in the late 90s. So he lived to an old age, as Jesus had kind of uh, foreseen, uh, or, or, or had kind of told everyone. I mean, they some people got the impression he was going to live forever, which John ends his gospel by saying Jesus didn't say that, but he did talk about or at least you could say he, it seemed like he might live a long time. And he did. And he, But he still had difficult things happen to him. You know, all the rest of the disciples were killed for their faith. They tried to boil John alive at one point, but he didn't die. At another point, they exiled him to Patmos. And while he was on Patmos, he had uh, this experience with the Lord and wrote out this book, Revelation. As I go through, um, I, obviously in the... In the years ahead, the Lord will reveal much more of this than I certainly can can uh, share today, because you know he'll, these things will be revealed over time. Um, but my goal is going to be more to just share things to think about, unless unless I feel the Lord has, you know, I, I'll probably be more definitive if I feel like the Lord has shown me very clearly what a certain part is. But there's far more parts that. Um, you know, I might share certain thoughts or ideas and take them to the Lord as to, and I might share a couple different opposing ideas, or sometimes ideas might not be opposing, but the Spirit of the Lord is speaking about different principles to you through the prophecy. So this is a very prophetic language book, much as many of the Old Testament books are. Uh, Zechariah is extremely so, but many others, Daniel and Ezekiel, and uh, you know, many of the prophets. So this is along that style. It begins, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So he said, God gave these revelations to Jesus Christ so that he could give it to me and so I can share it with you. And it was given to me by his angel, and it testifies to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And he said, blessed are all those who read it. It's a blessing in reading it. Uh, there's a blessing in hearing it and living your life according to this word. He says, the time is near. This is, these are serious things. And then the next, the rest of this chapter and the next two chapters are going to be messages to the seven churches, which are all in modern day Turkey, what they called Asia at the time. And so this can be read as being specific words to those churches. Um, Paul Keith Davis has done a teaching, which I am aware of, but I have not listened to where he breaks down that each of these progressively are ages of the church over the last 2,000 years. I haven't studied that, so I don't have an opinion on that, other than it is quite clear to me that the last one in chapter 3, the Laodicean church, very, does, very much does clearly describe the modern church age. And so I certainly uh, think that that could be, but I haven't studied the history and how these compares to different things. I, I'm interested in that. I'd like to someday, but I've still never gotten around to it. Um, but I'm sure they were also, 
you know, God is like that. If we think God is confined to one one thing or another, we don't understand really the Word of God at all. Because what happens often in the Word of God is there's things that happen to people's lives, but those things are also pictures of greater things to come in the future. I mean, it's, the whole Bible's filled with those things. So my guess is it was th- these things were actually happening to the people at the time of John, and also they describe ages of the church over the last 2,000 years. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, well, I'll stop there for a minute. So he said he's sharing grace and peace from him who was in and is to come. God is in all and through all. And he said before the throne from Jesus Christ, he says, I've received this. So this message is coming directly from the throne room of God, that Jesus is both a faithful witness. He's firstborn of the dead. So he died so that he could be renewed so that we would not have to taste the second death. And he is now ruler over all. His blood has covered our sins, released us from that bondage so that we can be free, so that we could be a new kingdom of people, a new race of people, priests to God and the Father. So we're kings and priests. We're a a separate kingdom for him, and we're priests of the God Most High that we can share of his wisdom to the world. Seven, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So Dwayne Stewart has put out, and it was very compelling, that coming with the clouds indicates, and he gave a lot of scriptural background, that this coming with the people of God, the raised up, matured sons of God, that in this, this age of this kingdom that is coming, that has always been foretold, that he's coming uh, through his people. So my, you know, I, I believe that that is the case, but also there will be a final coming actually, you know, I guess down at, in the clouds. The scene, even those who pierced him would be the Jews, that the Jews finally will have the veil lifted and will all come to the Lord. And they will say, you know, Zechariah might indicate that a whole lot of them will die in the last battle, but that those that are left will come to the Lord, realize what their forefathers have done, and all come into the fullness of the original promise to Abraham. And not just them, but every tribe of the earth, every people everywhere will realize at that point that he is sovereign Lord. He is also Messiah, Savior. John says it is to be. Verse 8, this is the Lord God speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So it's God speaking. Alpha and Omega is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I, I was, I am, and I will be. I am Almighty. That probably stands for El Shaddai. Although if it's written in Greek, I guess it would be different. 
It would be a Greek word, not a Hebrew word. But Almighty, He's He's uh, over everything. He's creator of everything. He's Lord of everything. He is all in all. Nine, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he said, I've also been, you know, I'm persevering. Um, they, you know, I've undergone the same tribulation you are. Uh, Domitian was the uh, emperor at this time. You know, Nero had uh, been a, a vicious man against Christians, but then he came and went. There was a little time of peace, and then Domitian came, and he was really bad. He said everyone had to worship him. And, and Christians said, well, no, there's only, you know, there's only one God. We worship him and him alone. And so Christians were, you know, they're killed, thrown to lions, whatever. They were, in John's case, um, they threw him. I, I don't know if it was, they tried to boil him and he didn't die. So they sent him directly to Patmos or if it's two different arrests. But anyways, um, he, uh, you know, he, he's undergoing the same persecution that, Christians all over the Roman world were. And so he says, here, I'm on Patmos, and I had this experience. So he said he was praying in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and then he heard a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So here's this trumpeter shofar sounding, but it's, but it's telling him words. And, and you know, that's pretty self-explanatory. Those are the names of the seven churches he's about to elaborate on. Twelve. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So when he heard it, it was like a trumpeter shofar. But when he saw it, it was seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool and like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Okay, so we see seven golden lampstands that correspond to the seven spirits mentioned in the first paragraph. If you're not familiar with the seven spirits of God, uh, Isaiah 11 lists the seven the uh, seven spirits, and here the the lampstand. And actually, each lampstand would has seven. Um, I don't know what you call them prongs, which hold a candle, and so um, they represent the seven spirits of God before the throne. And standing amidst them is Jesus. He calls him the Son of Man, which was his preferred title when he walked the earth. And he's clo- he, he doesn't appear as a, a normal man here at this point. He's, he's, you know, heavenly. He's got a spiritual body now, a spiritual reality that goes beyond what a human could be. His sword's coming straight out of his mouth. That's not, you know, normal human. So we see that this imagery, the, the white, you know, the long robe, the white, like purity, the gold, like the, again, like purity of God. White, white kind of represents the purity of a man made pure by God. Gold, the purity of God. The fire of, of his uh, sort of destruction of, of worldliness 
to bring about purity and to bring about his will. His voice, like many waters, the river of life. We again see seven stars, so again, corresponding to number seven. And the sword coming of his, his mouth, it represents, you know, his words being, the you know, cutting, uh, separating soul and spirit. The, the, his word, which is his life, cutting every, everything so that, uh, you know, the, the wheat and the tares are separated. The parts of our soul, of our, of our existence that are apart from him are cut away. His face was like sun, shining in its strength. It reminds me of Moses coming out of the presence of God. Here, here he is before the throne of God, and he shines like the sun. 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there's an angel and and we've seen this. We're going to see it later in Revelation, but uh, the stars often represent angels. Um, and we see that there is an angel assigned to each of the churches, so that each city of believers, the set apart ones, in you know the called out ones in each city, uh, called to be called out. That's the word church. we we do it. You know, it's ecclesia. We call it church. That's it means the call the uh, the called out ones. And there's an angel assigned to each group, just like each person. Each follower of Christ has his own angel. There's higher authorities, higher uh, angels, higher thrones that uh, represent, um, you know, churches over there. We saw it in Daniel when he talks about the Prince of Persia. So there's demonic forces as well. The enemy does this too, where he has uh, areas have different principalities ruling over them. So we see there's a structure within the heavenly realities, both good and evil. When we're completely falling, we're completely unaware of these things. But as we mature in the Lord, he starts to reveal more and more of this. And as we'll see as we go further on in the book, his plan is to place us in these places of authority, just as he had originally planned with Adam. And then going on to chapter 2, he starts speaking to the specific churches. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he says, Jesus is speaking to you this, that he knows your your deeds, he's seen your, your good deeds, he's seen how hard you've worked, that you've persevered, even though you're suffering. 
that you can't tolerate evil men. You don't put up with them. And when someone comes around claiming to be an apostle, you test them to see if they're really from God or if they're just representing themselves or something else that's not of God. And you've con- continued to endure for my name. And so, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. You've done well in all these things. However, I do have this against you, that you've left your first love. This is a common thing. And, you know, it, it, for a lot of people, it's because you come to Christ when you're kind of young and you're free and you have all this time, you're single. And, but then you get married, you start a career, and you, 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 the focus just changes. And all of a sudden, you're focused more on your family, more on your career. And God gets kind of put away. You might still keep on with the religious services, but the passion for God is set aside. It's, it's on a much lower shelf. Um, and he says, this, you, you can't do that. I should be priority in your life. He says, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do what you did at the first. Live for me or else I will come and remove your lampstand. Unless you repent, turn back to me. He says, however, this is one thing you do. You hate the Nicolaitans. I pronounce it Nicolaitan, which is, I think, how most people pronounce it. Um, it's not exactly how it's spelled. Nicolaitans. But uh, he says, which I also hate. And, and they were a people, honestly, they're very similar to the relevant church movement that's huge in this country. Um, they said, okay, well, we're we're getting persecuted. We don't want to... The world doesn't want to join us because, hey, we're persecuted. So we need to be more like the world and make our message more palatable to them. And Jesus says, I hate that. Be set apart for me. Commit yourself to me and I will bring those who need to come to me. Don't try to be like the world and think that that's okay. He says, if you have an ear to hear spiritual things, you need to hear. This is my word. And he says, if you do overcome the world, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life that Adam and Eve were cut off from. You will come back into this and receive the wisdom of God straight from the tree of God, straight in tree of life in the paradise of God. You will be able to come back into the garden of Eden. This is his promise for us. This is the the fullness of his kingdom that he's doing in our day. Verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life, say this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So we see he gives Jesus a different title in each of these. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. But he says, you're not actually poor. You're actually rich. So maybe in this world, you're poor and you're hungry and you're, you know, casting about where you're going to get your next meal. It's difficult. He says, but you're rich. You are beloved and blessed by God himself. No one is more rich than that. And he says, I know that the Jews are going along saying that, um, you know, saying things against you, uh, blaspheming me in, in my name, in God's name. But they're actually a synagogue of Satan because they don't know that God has sent me. He says, don't have fear. You are about to suffer. They're going to throw you in prison for 10 days and you're going to suffer mightily. 
But don't have fear about that. It's simply what's happening to your body. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, if you're faithful, I will give you the crown of life. Crown represents kingship. and saying, I'm, I'm going to place you in a position of authority because you're filled with my life and you can represent me. He says, if you have spiritual ears to hear, you should hear. This is the truth. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You don't have to worry about death because you will just come more completely into my life. And then verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, To the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, say this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas. My witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So he says, you've been strong. You've been persevering in my name. For me, you've been faithful. 14, but I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So they have some, you know, Balaam taught that you could use sexual immorality, sexual temptation to get people to worship other gods and get them away from the purity that God wants for his people. And so he says, you have some among you who are doing this. They are being immoral. They're trying to mix in worship of God with worship of other things. And this cannot be, this cannot stand. He says, you do have people that are going the way of the Nicolaitans. And and this kind of just described that. I mean, you could say it's slightly different, but it, it leads to those things. 16, therefore, repent or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says of the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. Again, he says, repent from these ways, or <laughs> destruction is coming on you. So if we mix in the ways of the world, uh, if we w- mix in immorality, try to be worldly, or go by the wisdom of the world and still try to claim God, he says, that is the way of destruction. It does not work and it will not work. Particularly, you know, there are times in history where people kind of get along that way. But there are times when God moves powerfully. And I would suggest we're in that time where... Purity is called for because God is moving and he needs the world to see what he's doing. So he must move through people who are committed to him. And he says, when you overcome the world in this way, you have hidden manna. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is that hidden manna. And then we can have him totally consumed with him, by him, so that we have the wisdom of Christ, the love of Christ, the life of Christ. And... A, a new name. So a white stone with stone be, being built, the temple of God, white purity. A new name is a new life in us. Not, not our old life, but a totally new life. And only we will even understand who he has made us. Well, I have moved away from the <laughs> loud kids to finish this. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Theatre, 
Right, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. So there's certainly a a spirit of Jezebel at work in the world. Um... And it, maybe there was a particular woman who he was referring to as Jezebel there who called herself a prophet, prophetess, um, and she was leading people astray. The spirit of Jezebel typically works through uh, a woman or women to control a man or men and uh, in that way uh, lead towards immoral things. Like, of course, Jezebel from... Uh, I guess kings you can read about Jezebel and Ahab and how Jezebel controlled Ahab. Ahab in and of himself probably wouldn't have been, he probably would have been a pretty good king based on things we see in his character at times, but he was a horrible king because of Jezebel uh, leading him in the ways that she wanted him to go. And he's saying you cannot put up with this. You must stand for what is right and true for me, my life, my ways. Those who go with this way, who go according to this way into the immorality which this spirit leads, is, you know, it's complete destruction. There must be repentance out of this way. 24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. And as... I also have received authority from my father. I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So what we see here is a wonderful picture of how God cleanses his people. He's some of his people. These are all people claiming to be his, right? But some of them are, are, uh, going to be destroyed he says but some will be cleansed because they've held fast to him but he says hey keep on keep on don't don't let up now but they will be blessed he says i know every mind and heart i search that god searches all these things he knows and if you do overcome and you know he mentions uh you know like psalm 110 he authority over nations ruling with a rod of iron that he, Jesus will rule through these. He says, this authority was given to me. I give it to you. So Jesus will rule over this kingdom, over the world, through his people, his matured sons of God that have overcome the world, the ways of the world, the flesh. And I will give him the morning star. This is the very life of Christ, the authority of heavenly places. And uh, we'll, we'll end it there today, and we'll pick up with three tomorrow. God bless you.